Welcome to GMFC Studios, God's production company. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to see those of you that have come and joined with us here in the studio. And we salute each and every one of you that's joined online and through our various streaming platforms. We thank God for each and every one of you. And we ask the blessings of the Lord upon you. We're excited about what God is doing and how he's sharing his word with us. And we want to continue in the vein that we were in last week dealing with tribulation and trials in our life and trying to understand why it is these things should be, in a sense, celebrated according to Scripture. Our foundational Scripture for this sermon was James, the first chapter, the first through the twelfth verse. I'm going to ask if they would just put that up on the screen for you uh, to take a look at real quick and to read silently to yourself. I'm a firm believer that the Word of God should consistently be read, received into the body, into the mind, into your heart, because it is what we as believers live by. It is the source of our nutrient for our living. So I'm going to give you a second just to read that. Praise the Lord. We thank the Lord again for each and every one of you. As we continue, we left off talking about five uh, points that you should focus on when dealing with a tribulation. And last week, I was only able really to give you one. Um, I got excited, and I'm going to try my best to contain myself to just release to you the other four points so that you can apply them to your life. If you missed last week's sermon, I encourage you to go back into the archives of GMFC Studios and you can pull it up uh, and look, take a look at it and listen to it and allow it to minister uh, the grace of the Lord into your life. But point two is uh, having the ability to calculate the result of the tribulation that you're going through. Having the ability or uh, using the God-given gift of discernment to calculate the results of your trials. I believe that every believer has to look above the immediate unpleasantness of the tribulation or the trial that they're in if they're ever going to find joy in what God will accomplish by the tribulation that they're going through. God doesn't let anything go to waste. He takes and uses every opportunity to reveal more of himself to you and to elevate you in him. Paul says something to the Roman Christians that is very helpful here. In the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, the third through the fifth verse, uh, he makes a very uh, um, revealing statement. And it reads, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. There's a book that was written called The Fight by John White, and he writes, tough times either make you or break you. So if you're not utterly crushed by your tribulation, 
you will be enlarged by the very thing you're enduring. The pain will make you live more deeply. It'll allow you to expand uh, your consciousness, your understanding uh, of not only God, but of the things that you're dealing with in life and your ability to overcome those things. Trials produce durability. You ought to write that down. My trials are making me durable. It's something when you go to the store and you buy something, you want it to last. You don't want it to just break at the, you know, the first time you drop it. I remember uh, when the iPhone first came out years and years ago. And you know, if you dropped it, that was it that iPhone would break. The screen on it would break. It was made of um, you know, not very durable material. But over the years, iPhone and, and other phone producing companies have taken time to um, try to make their products more durable so that you don't have to buy a third party product to encase your phone in uh, to protect it from life itself. Now, I see two things even just in this analogy. First off, um, as they're making their products more durable and likening that to our uh, dealing with tribulation in our life and how tribulation does all these things according to Romans in the life of a believer, God is making us more durable so that when uh, new things enter our life, we don't, we don't immediately just fall apart. Uh, but the phone companies are still allowing third-party companies to build um, you know, cases that will extend or that will allow for even a greater sense of stability and durability in the product that they sell. The power of Holy Ghost in the life of the believer is that for us. It is that uh, added thing by God to continue to keep us as we walk through life. But it was never, and even from the moment of uh, the creation of man in the garden, it was never God's intention to do everything for man. Man was given dominion so that man could do things and man had to grow and, and come into a greater level of understanding and be able to function in the things that God has done and is doing through man, but man still needed to be more durable if he's going to do the things that God has commanded him to do. God wants you to become more durable, and tribulation produces durability. And you ought to uh, think about that and meditate on that each and every day as you're uh, looking at the things that are going on in your life, your tribulations, which are unpleasant at times. They're frustrating. Sometimes they will even cause you to be angry. But if you look at them in the right perspective, that what I'm going through is producing durability in me because of what is coming. I can't see what's coming. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what tomorrow has to hold for me. But God does. And God is preparing me for what is next in my life. And if I can't deal with uh, my current crisis or my current situation or my current level of responsibility, how can I ever ask God for more because with more comes a greater level of responsibility. So we have to trust God in the process that he has created to allow us to grow, to handle what is next. 
the title of this sermon is don't get frustrated pretty much because you're next in line for a blessing. Your tribulation is the sign that you're next in line to be blessed. Your trial will produce in you a, a level of durability that will enable you to handle not just the tribulation that's coming next, but the blessing that's coming next. James says that the testing of our faith produces patience. Patience is not a passive term in this sense, but it's an active one. It's not a resignation to whatever happens, you know, happens, but it's a strong and a tough resolution within the life of a believer in the midst of every adverse circumstance that I am standing still and I am at peace in God. It would be better translated really as steadfastness or perseverance or even brave endurance. This word is used of Job in uh, the book uh, in James 5 and 11 where it says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So trials in the life of believers refine their faith so that the false is stripped away or the fake is stripped away and the genuine authenticity of faith that continues to thrive in the life of a believer thrusts them to trust God because God is developed a victorious positive level of endurance understanding that no matter what I'm going through because God is with me I'm going to be okay William Barclay, a great theologian, points out that the endurance of the early Christian was not a passive quality either. He says it's not simply the ability to bear things, it's the ability to turn those things into greatness and glory for God. So the thing which amazed the, the heathen in the centuries of persecution was the uh, martyrs. Now, you think about martyrs, and you know, martyr means you're dying for a cause. But in the life of one who had analyzed this, they did not look at this in a grim way, but they died singing, seeing God in their tribulation. Trials not only produce uh, durability in your life, trials produce maturity. A lot, and when I look at a lot of believers in the body of Christ, I find a lot of believers are at really at a level of infancy and, and they refuse to grow up. I tell you, there are times in my life, I'm, I'm not going to talk about anybody else, I'll just talk about me. There are times in my life where I wish, and I've even said, I wish I could go back to the days when I was, you know, five, you know, six years, seven years old, enough to understand, you know, kind of that I'm alive and, you know, um, that I have desires and things that I want to do, but not old enough to have to deal with the responsibility of the things that I want to do. So all I knew is that I would just get up and uh, by the grace of God, I had a mother and a father that loved me and, and worked hard to provide for me and, and you know, purchased the natural things for my living on top of the fact that um, you know, they gave me extra stuff to play with. And so my responsibility was just to have fun to just enjoy, you know, my season of youth. 
And as you grow, sometimes you, you wish you could go back to that. And I, I was talking to my youngest son. Um, you know, he's in that, you know, thrust right now of kind of getting out on his own and doing his own thing. And I told him that, you know, leaving the nest, which I, I'm fine with him doing, brings with it its own level of responsibility. It brings with it its own, um, you know, force to grow up. No longer do you just have to worry about coming into a house for which you don't have to pay any of the bills in, but now you do. And that plays into, uh, you know, what you can do with your freedom, your free time. Well, it's the same way in the life of a believer. Tribulation forces you to mature. Tribulation in your life, for lack of a better phrase, forces you to grow up. And I look at a lot of believers and I find that a lot of believers, like I am at times, don't want to grow up. They don't really, they, they want the freedom that comes with maturity in, in the sense that, oh, you know, I'm grown now. You can't tell me anything. I can do what I want. But they don't really enjoy all the time the responsibility that comes with that um, level of maturity but God sees this in the life of his children and he allows tribulation to produce that level of maturity because without maturity you cannot do the things that God has called you to do now if we look at the text that, that you know I put on the screen for you and encourage you to read James uses two expressions to define maturity in the life of a believer. So when durability has done its perfect work, it causes the uh, Christian to be perfect and complete. Now, first of all, mature believers are perfect. And I know that that word perfect, you know, sometimes shocks people and offends people. And, you know, they, they, they struggle with that word. But if you look at the scripture... Mature believers are perfect. Now, this word means to be fully developed. And this is why people are frustrated with words, because they don't take time to fully understand what the word is representing. This word, in this concept, in this context, simply means to be fully developed. So without durability and trials, believers have not yet fully matured. They have not been fully developed. They, they have to learn to persevere in tribulation so that the work that God has begun in them will be brought to completion. We would like to be able to just, you know, uh, wake up one day and, and, you know, the next is already there for us. But if you're not prepared to handle what is next, the weight that comes with what is next, then what is next will destroy you. Three times Paul asked the Lord to remove a thorn that was in his flesh. And while that, that specific request was not necessarily answered, you know, to fitting Paul's desire, which is the removal of the thorn, God did answer him. And his word was, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter and the 9th verse. I encourage you to read it. Check the text. Know it for yourself. The term perfect is the same here as it was in James that I just revealed to you. So we are to persevere, persevere in our tribulation so that the work that God has begun in us may be brought to completion. 
There was an occasion uh, David prayed about the aspect of the work of God in his life. And he says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hand. Psalms, the 138th Psalm, the 8th uh, verse. Now, maturity becomes very important as it relates to uh, the perfecting work of God in us causing us to become complete in him. But there's a second uh, thing that we have to understand about maturity, about mature believers uh, being complete. Now, this word refers to something that has all its parts and therefore is whole. They're not bits and pieces, but they are whole. Maturity is creating a whole believer. It's possible for a believer to be fully grown or mature in most areas of life, but be missing an ingredient of steadfastness in tribulation. And until they have experienced uh, this tribulation which brings about this level of durability which causes or creates within the context of perfection their ability to become complete a believer is not complete there was a, a great theologian by the name of John Calvin uh, and, and this theologian was weak and sickly and, and, and hounded by persecution and yet he brilliantly guided thousands of believers during the reformation period uh, in the world suffering from uh, rheumatism and uh, migraine headaches as the uh, historical facts detail, he continued to write um, proliferously. He preached powerfully, even in his condition, as well as governing the city of Geneva for 25 years. Now, Calvin said, you must submit to supreme suffering in order to discover the completion of joy. You must submit to supreme suffering in order to discover the completion of joy. The life of, of Calvin demonstrates his ability that while yet in tribulation, he continued to do great things for God. Another uh, point that I, I want to bring to your attention is that tribulation allows you to call upon God's resource in the middle of that tribulation. You have access to God. You ought to um, put that down. I have access. Uh, oftentimes, tribulation will cause you to believe something about yourself that's not true. I don't, I don't have what it takes to deal with whatever this crisis is in my life, which is really a stark uh, contradiction to God's revelation of who you are in him, because you cannot be more than a conqueror if you lack the very things for which you overcome. But God says in his word that we are overcomers in Christ. So we have to understand that even as uh, we may not be able to in the moment see the resource to deal with the tribulation that we're in, we can still be confident in the fact that we have access to him who controls all things all of life and everything that is known and seen is governed by God and we have access into the throne room of God in fact if you understand scripture 
too often we, we think of ourselves as coming before God in the sense as if God is sitting on the throne and you're down on the platform and you're approaching him. If you really understand scripture, you'll realize that you're not approaching God at the bottom of, of, of the platform where God is sitting up on the throne. You are actually sitting right next to God on the throne in Christ Jesus. And you don't really approach him in the sense uh, of begging, but you approach him in the sense of uh, a rightful access to the things that he has granted because you're sitting at his right hand in Christ. So the resources of God, whatever you're going through, the resources of God are available to you. And most of us have found ourselves at the point of crying out for help at any given time but it's usually our last resort we cry out after we have done everything that we can do we commonly try every device known to man to escape admitting that we need help James takes the the word lacking from verse 4 and he ties it to verse 5 reminding us that the prerequisite to obtaining help with our trouble is to realize that we lack sufficient wisdom to sort our trouble out without God. So the argument then becomes when I'm facing tribulation it is important for me to understand and to know how to cope with that tribulation. So the only way that we will be able to understand the tribulation and respond to that tribulation properly is to ask for the wisdom that only God can give. There's a book entitled the, the uh, I think it's called The Wisdom of God. And the following idea about wisdom is really pushed in this book. So the question is then asked, what is wisdom? Wisdom is common sense in an uncommon degree. You ought to take that into yourself for a moment. Wisdom is common sense in an uncommon degree. Charles Spurgeon defines wisdom as the right use of knowledge. The right use of knowledge. I'm asking God for wisdom. What I'm asking God then for is the right use of the knowledge that he's given. Francis Hutchinson says uh, it is a um, pursuing of the best ends by the best means. Cicero says wisdom is the knowledge of things human and divine and the cause by which they are controlled. And I heard that it was once said uh, simply um, this kind of really um, basic definition, wisdom is knowledge using its head. Wisdom is knowledge using its head. So if I had to choose my favorite secular definition for wisdom, I think it would be this one. Wisdom is doing the right thing without precedent. For me, wisdom is doing the right thing without precedent when our friends and our loved ones are going through tribulation or when we're going through tribulation we may think uh, we see what God is doing uh, you know through the ordeal but when we are uh, you know the sufferers ourselves we are going through that fire ourselves it sometimes is very difficult to be as wise as we are when somebody else is going through and we're just on the outside looking in and this is why we are to ask God for wisdom 
We are to ask God for wisdom. So one of the things that you have to remember when tribulation hits your life, you know, some of us, you know, are quick to ask God for help. We need to be quicker to ask God for wisdom because too often the very first thing that comes into our life that we think is um, you know, there or created to help us, we grab a hold of that and we don't seek the wisdom of God to know whether this uh, apparent open door is really of God or it's another means of the enemy to destroy what God has done in our life. And this is why we are to ask God for wisdom. There are nine Hebrew words and five Greek words uh, that translate to pray. But the Holy Spirit passes by all of those words and chooses the more common word of ask. All we have to do is ask and he will give us the wisdom that we will need to get through the storm of our life. Years ago, I came across a motto uh, that has, you know, helped me more than once to understand the need to ask God for help. And it goes something like this. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. And I see this played out all the time. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. And as James motivates troubled believers to seek wisdom from God, he describes God in such a way as to make us wonder why we wait so long to reach out for the help that he has. God is good. And then the believer will yell all the time. And then we will respond all the time. And the believer will respond, God is good. You see, the scripture affirms that God is the source of true wisdom and grace. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, James 1 and 17. So with him are wisdom and strength, He has counsel and understanding. This is what Job tells us in 12 and 13. With him, that's God, are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. It's amazing when you get into the word of God and you begin to realize the things that God is trying to release into our understanding. The Bible uh, tells us in Job 28 uh, verse 20 and verse 23, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? God understands it uh, its way and he knows its place. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. Come knowledge and understanding, Proverbs 2 and 6. Paul prayed that the the God of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom in Ephesians 1 and 17. So this God who is the source of wisdom, you know, he, he liberally has a desire to give this wisdom to men. He is good and not partial to anyone. He will always answer the prayer for wisdom. He never turns away a request. He may not always answer on our timetable, but he's never late. And he always gives an answer. You ought to say this, in, especially in the times when it seems like uh, you're lacking something. I may be standing in a place of lack, but the God I serve is a generous God. 
James says that God gives to all men liberally. Now the word liberal has two meanings associated with it. The first means to stretch out. And, and this is a, a picture of God stretching or spreading out his table of wisdom. And the way God dispenses his wisdom to those who ask is by lavishly pouring out to them the full supply of that which it is they are in need of. The second meaning teaches the method of his giving. And this is important, and you have to understand. So we recognize that the wisdom comes from him, and he wants to liberally give it to you. But we have to understand the second meaning of this giving, and that's the method of his giving. Liberally is also translated singly. So God is the opposite of the double-minded man that's mentioned in James 1 and 8. God gives his wisdom simply plainly straightforwardly and individually to all who will ask of him because our God is a good God he's a gracious God James says that God gives his wisdom without reproach the word reproach means to insult to hurl an, uh, 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 an adjective of harm to do harm so when God uh, you know is pouring out his wisdom or when we come to God for wisdom he doesn't take the stance of scolding us for coming to him but he receives us in his approach because God is a good God. He's a generous God. He's a gracious God. So anyone who seeks him should approach him without any doubt. Because he can be, uh, God can be trusted. But if we fail to trust God, we would not expect or should not expect him to even answer us. The Bible tells us, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James 1, 6 through 8. Now the word faith is found only twice in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 32 and 20 uh, and Habakkuk 2 and 4. But it is found 16 times in the book of James alone. The book of Hebrews reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And if we approach God without faith, we have decided to live life in our own way, to make up our own decisions, to separate ourselves from the truth of God. And, and, and because uh, of God not answering us, um, it, then the things of God become separated from us. So when James likens the double-minded man to the uh, billowing of a sea, it's the first of many references to nature in the letter that he's writing he also refers to the wind he also refers to the sun he refers to the grass and the flowers and, and horses and other animals and birds and sea creatures and springs and figs and olives and grapevines and agriculture and rain James says that a person who 
praise doubting is like the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. He no doubt has in mind the, the Sea of Galilee, which is only 15 miles long, seven miles wide, but often a very violent sea. The strong winds sweep down from the surrounding mountains like a cyclone whipping up the waters in a sense of a fury. So to James, the constant churning of the water suggests the agitation of a uh, doubter's heart. And this kind of person uh, is encouraged uh, one moment but discouraged the next moment. Paul uses the same figure to portray uh, immature believers. He speaks of them as tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. E Ephesians 4 and 14. You ought to read it. So the man of faith is a stable man looking in only one direction for the wisdom that he needs. He knows that the God to whom he prays is able and willing to respond to the, the very need that he's praying about. Now, I want, I want to just leave this point with you um, that deals really with our response to tribulation. We ought to consider how we react to our true relation. We have to consider, take consideration, or I, I, I like to you know, use the term just because of what I do secularly, um, debrief. We, we ought to debrief ourselves about our reaction to the tribulation that we're in. When you experience uh, tribulation or trials in life, you often catch yourself reevaluating life. So if you happen to be rich, you realize that trials can bring you down to a level of poverty. Most of James's readers were poor and had become even poorer through the persecution that was leveled against them. But James would not let them be discouraged. He told them that they should receive in the fact that they were being um, exalted. They had been low and were being made high. Though, you know, through this level of poverty, they had actually developed a humble spirit that would keep their hearts open to God. The Bible declares, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5 and 3. R.W. Dale reminds the poor man of his true position in Christ. Let him remember that he is a prince and glory in that. He is a prince on his way to his kingdom, traveling by rough roads, enduring many hardships, suffering from hunger, cold, and weariness, and the people among whom he is traveling don't even know anything about his greatness, but he knows. Let him glory in his high estate. In other words, recognize who you are even when the world doesn't recognize who you are or what you're going through is trying to give you a uh, alternative look at yourself. You see, God's testing has a way of bringing about uh, equality in, in his family. So when testing comes to the poor man, he lets God have his way and rejoices that he possesses spiritual riches that cannot ever be taken from him. And when testing comes to the rich man, he also lets God have his way and rejoices that his riches 
churches in Christ cannot wither or fade away like his secular riches can. So James' reference to the wealthy man and uh, the comparative shortness of human life reminds him of the wild flowers that carpeted the hillsides of his native land. They were dazzlingly beautiful for a few weeks in the spring after the rains had come, but their beauty was always short-lived. And he uses this kind of poetic language that should have been familiar to Jewish readers. James describes the blistering heat that follows the rainy season and withers the flowers away. The short life of the blossoms in Palestine provided a good illustration uh, to the rich man. So when the heat of trials separated the wealthy from you know what causes them to be wealthy the Christian rich man calculates that he would have uh, you know uh, only had his wealth for a short time anyway he knew that he had really lost nothing then since Christ is what's everything to him and not his wealth we have trees behind our house that uh, I, it always cracks me up they're green for most of the uh, uh, of the four seasons they, you know, they lose their leaves in, in the fall and, um, you know, they look like, you know, just big twigs during the winter like they're supposed to. And then when spring comes for like a period of two weeks, just, just, just about two weeks, it's just the sea of beautiful white behind our house. And we can sit out and, and look at that and, and, and enjoy the beauty, but that beauty fades away very quickly. And it, then it's just a bunch of green trees after that. And it always frustrates me sometimes, uh, you know, in my thinking when I'm looking at this, why can't that just be beautiful ever, forever? Just stay white. It, I mean, it, it's really a beautiful picture. Um, but that's just not the way life works. Hudson Taylor, the founder of uh, the uh, Inland China Mission, uh, was talking to a young missionary who uh, was about to start you know, their missionary work in China. And, and he says, uh, Taylor says this, that, um, uh, I'm trying to remember how this went. So Taylor says that uh, what proceeded to pound um, out you know, what was coming out of, of him. So the idea was that what was on the table, they, they were standing before a table and they're having this discussion about this missionary journey. And uh, Taylor pounds his fist on this table. And the teacups that were on the table, they, they kind of jumped up off the table. And the tea that was in the teacup was spilled all over the table. Now, this new... Um, missionary that was beginning to start their journey was startled and was wondering what in the world was going on and this is what Taylor says to him after he gives this uh, you know kind of volatile demonstration when you begin your work you will be buffeted in numerous ways the trials will be like blows now remember these blows these blows will bring out only what is in you now think about the try to visualize what he was showing him as he pounds on the table and the teacups begin to burst forth because of the force of him pounding on the table what's in the cup is forced out this in the life of the believer of a mature believer should cause you to leap with joy why because when tribulation blows against you what is in you comes out 
Well, then the question has to be, what is in me? For the life of a believer, it should be Holy Ghost. So when tribulation blows against you, Holy Ghost comes out of you. And there is nothing greater than the manifold presence of God in your life. Now contemplate the reward of your tribulation because there is a reward of your tribulation. And James has made us aware that these tribulations produce patience and, and maturity and they cause us to seek and follow the wisdom of God. But adversity is also riveted to the future because trials guarantee future blessings as well. When tribulation comes into your life, celebrate because you are next in line. You see, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James 1 and 12. Jesus also promised a reward for those who are faithful under persecution. He says this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 5, 10 and 12. The reward that James promised is a crown from the Greek word Stephanos. And this word uh, was used to identify the woven thorns that were placed on the head of our Savior. And he was prepared when he was prepared for crucifixion in Matthew 27 and 29, Mark 15 and 17, and uh, John um, uh, 19 and 5, I believe. But Paul referred metaphorically uh, to this crown, both to the Philippians and to the Thessalonians as his crown in Philippians 4 and 1 and 1 Thessalonians 2 and 19. And writing to Timothy, Paul described his future reward as the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4 and 8. So Peter called it the crown of glory that does not fade away, which will be given uh, by the chief shepherd when he appears, 1 Peter 5 and 4. The apostle John called it the crown of life in Revelations 2 and 10. And it indicates that it would be among the crowns cast at the feet of Jesus in heaven. Revelations 4 and 10. We are saved by trusting in Christ. But we are crowned when we are tested by fire and continue to love him in the middle of that tribulation. Your tribulation is a sign that you are about to go into a state of coronation. You are about to be crowned with the glory of God because of your triumphant uh, walk through your tribulation. Andrew Murray was suffering from a terrible, uh, painful back, uh, the result of an injury that he had, had incurred. And, and one morning while he was eating breakfast in, in his room, his hostess uh, told him of a woman downstairs who was in great trouble and wanted to know if he had any advice for her. And Murray handed her a piece of paper and, and had this writing on it and said, give her this advice I'm writing down for myself. It may be that she'll find it helpful. And this is what was written. In time of trouble, first he brought me here. This is what we have to say to ourselves. First, he, God, brought me here. It is by his divine will that I am in this straight place or this place of trouble. 
and in that I will rest. This right here, just the beginning part, identifies God as sovereign in my life and, and, and my uh, reluctance to reject what he is causing me to endure because I trust in his wisdom. So I don't get frustrated when trouble comes. I overcome my human condition and I walk in who I am in him and I declare to him that if you brought me here, it's for a purpose and I will rest in that. Next, the, the thing that he writes is he will keep me here in his love and give me grace in this tribulation to behave as his child. Then he says this, he will make the trial a blessing teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace that he means to bestow and lastly he says in his good time he can bring me out again how and when he only knows therefore say I am here by God's appointment in his keeping under his training for his time this is what our attitude ought to be when tribulation comes. I am here by God's appointment. And I'm going to be kept while I'm here under his training. He's going to cause this to work for my good. And I will come out of it when he's done teaching me everything I need to know. Now, the average number of sailors in a... Uh, a uh, SEAL team uh, basic training class is uh, 75. An average of only 38 graduate and go on to success in sea, air, land, uh, you know, situations. Almost half of the class quit during the process. Now, when Christians face their basic training in tribulation, there are also many casualties. But James teaches us that we can be victors instead of victims if we will mentally prepare ourselves by these five points. And I'm going to leave these with you right now. Celebrate the reason behind your tribulation. Celebrate the reason behind your tribulation. Two calculate the results of your tribulation three call on the resource of God in your tribulation four consider your reaction to your tribulation and lastly contemplate the reward of your tribulation if you do these five things while you're in your situation and remember the attitude that we should have God brought me here I'm in this by divine appointment I didn't happenstance into this trouble I'm in this trouble by divine appointment I may not yet understand why I'm here or what's going on but my first attitude is I'm here by divine appointment and that while I'm here, I have access to help. I'm going to be kept by God. I'm going to receive from God the necessary uh, tools and resources to endure. 
I'm going to go through this and be better as a result of it. I'm going to receive a reward and I'm only going to be in this as long as God wants me in it. And God doesn't keep me in it beyond what he's trying to teach me. So if you're really looking and thinking in your mind about a timetable, the quicker you learn, the quicker you'll get out. How do I know when, I le when I've learned the lesson? Well, one, you'll begin to receive the reward. And two, you'll have asked God to show you what it is you ought to learn and been, then be open to receive what it is he's trying to show you. And some of the things that the Lord may be trying to show you may be things that you need to change in your life. So the quicker you adjust your course, the quicker you'll move through your tribulation. But God has no desire to crush you, only to mature you. And sometimes maturity hurts. But when you get to that level of maturity, Oh, what a joy it is. Think about these things. Let this uh, word of the Lord minister to you, especially if you are in right now your divine appointment of tribulation. Trust and believe you are not there alone or by accident, but God has purpose to prosper you in it. You are in your coronation season and you are next in line to be blessed. Have an awesome Sunday and know that I am praying for each of you. God bless you. Amen. This has been a production of the GMFC Studios. God bless you.